Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Contest of Champions to Friends. They did it once, so they did it again. No time for losers. Cause we are the champions for the brood. Welcome back to your bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Batula Neal. And this week we are looking at Contest of Champions 2, which came out in 1999. Written by Chris Claremont with art by Oscar Jimenez with a little bit of work at the end by Michael Ryan and colors by Atomic Paintbrush. This is back during the time when the colors, you know, it's like, I'm not just a colorist, I'm a studio. So we're the color studio, Atomic Paintbrush. That just, that's cool. Had you ever heard of Contest of Champions 2 before, Petula? I'd heard of Contest of Champions. I don't think in my mind I'd segmented it into one and two. Right, right. Because the first Contest of Champions came out in 82. And I think early on, I think it was all the way back in the first year of Back Issue Bloodbath, myself and Gavin Stevens did that series and it's a confusing kind of miniseries but historically it's a big deal because it was the first ever marvel miniseries so from 1982 to 1999 they never touched that title again what happened was chris claremont he comes back to marvel in 1998 as the executive editor which was just a fun way of saying creative director he was brought in as a creative director come up with some ideas and uh, he noticed that there was a hole in the 1999 production schedule slot that could fit in a miniseries. And so he pitched Contest of Champions 2 because he came up with a story that could use a lot of lingering character bits and plot ideas that he had from back when he was first at Marvel that he never got to do. And so he thought, well, we can put all the heroes into one big bag and I can do them there. And editor Ruben Diaz came on and he was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's put together. He found him Oscar Jimenez to be the artist and everything was going on plan. The original idea was they were going to reach release five issues in five weeks and it was going to be like a big deal. And the other big thing that Ruben Diaz wanted to bring in was all of the contests will be decided by the fans at marvel.com. And it was like, Ooh, it's like, Oh, that's sort of like the same sort of feel as, uh, Marvel versus DC had back in 96. Oh, this is crazy. Okay, cool. But of course, best laid plans. They ended up having to go to a monthly schedule. Oscar Jimenez was not able to do all of the work. He did the first three issues. Michael Bryan was brought in to do issue four. And then the two of them each did a part of issue five. And three of the matches were decided by the fans at Marvel.com. Mr. Fantastic versus the Hulk. Daredevil versus Deadpool, and Gambit versus Hawkeye. It was supposed to be just a big, fun event where you saw your favorite heroes facing off against each other. Because that was a time when that was still novel, where, you know, now it seems like every time they have an event book, it's about heroes fighting heroes, whether it be Civil War, um, World War Hulk, uh, Secret Invasion. Um, Avengers versus... Avengers versus X-Men. Yes, all that, yeah. 
that, but back then it was still kind of a novelty. You didn't see it every year where heroes were facing off against heroes. So that was like the big selling point of this book. And I remember when it started coming out, I was, I'd just gotten back into comic books and I was going into the comic shop. I was like, Oh, what's this? It was pretty cool. I picked it up and I looked at it and I was like, Oh yeah, why not? seems like it'll be fun. And at the time I remember really enjoying it just because it was a fun book. It was a fun book. It had all the heroes in it. Little wacky adventure. I don't know if I was to read it now, first time, I'd have that same feeling. And so, Patula, what are your thoughts on Contest of Champions 2? Context uh, listener finally managed to get together with my D&D crew again recently. And we had a great little session on our voyage into the minds of Fandeliver. Whatever. Anyway, point is, there's always this feeling in crossover events that it's literal children playing with the Tupperware box of toys and just picking up two <laughs> and saying fight. And you're voyaging into the use your imagination based on what you would do, but also these people's powers. Because not every character is acting the way they would on a run that's written by their kind of dedicated creators because it is still a run written by yes it is claremont but it's still there's a bunch of different people in this so some of the things are very character specific some of the things are very much it's all the same voice it's kind of that feeling that you get in that first couple of avengers movies all that to say the feeling i got was like childlike this is fun but this is one of the many ways that i enjoy like what if or other things it's like the the good side of crossovers it's like right. i know this is not permanent i know there's no permanent stakes i know that this is just take a bunch of different people and smash them up together and see what happens and good times yeah. because yeah the the whole like versus versus it is just one sort of fun smash panel after another like punch them up punch them up punch them up with actual title cards ring girls holding up fight cards at the beginning of each <laughs> issue it it's just good times and you know what it's also a great little short series if you wanted to and the exposition stuff and the brood stuff honestly that's what i think almost i mean you need somebody setting this up but take that out of it it's basically like danger room but like have everyone in there not just mutants mm. or you know like avengers training and again not just avengers and just see what they can do and it's a great kind of intro if you're trying to explain to somebody what different characters strengths and weaknesses are right and also what some of their historical beefs are because they also did a great job i mean the best was obviously miss eventually captain marvel and rogue like showing not just what the characters' powers are and their tactics, but also all of their petty and not-so-petty grudges. Reading this, and of course knowing the history of Claremont with the characters from his first run, back from the late 70s all the way up to 1991 at Marvel, of course he's best known for his X-Men run, but like the other books that he worked on was like Marvel team up with Spider-Man, some Avengers stuff, the Miss Marvel series, which is where he first introduced Mystique and Destiny in comics. And so it's very fun to see him here 
getting to play with all of the characters that he had a connection to. And the way he did it was interesting because Iron Man is kind of the window in to the story. And if you were to say that now to a, a newer comic fan, they'd be like, yeah, of course. Iron Man's like one of the biggest characters around. At the time, Iron Man wasn't that popular. Like he was known as a long-standing Avenger and considered like a very important character in the Marvel Universe. But when it came to popularity, the X-Men, Spider-Man, Captain America, the Hulk, like there was a lot of people above Iron Man. So to have Iron Man as your in an ensemble piece, still kind of your star of a majority of the story was interesting. It was like, oh, they're taking Iron Man on this route. And I remember at the time, a lot of like critics and Wizard Magazine and stuff were saying they should give Chris Claremont an Iron Man book just on the base on the way that he was writing Iron Man. Because also, a lot of people think of Iron Man as kind of like Robert Downey Jr. now. But that only happened when they cast Robert Downey Jr. Before that, Iron Man wasn't really all that interesting. He was interesting to a point, but there was a lot of times where his character really didn't resonate with the audience, you know, being a billionaire scientist, you know, sometimes it's going to be like a bit of a stretch to really empathize or relate to the character. What Claremont did here is that he made the character fully about being a tactician, basically going, analyze problem, find solution. And that was really an interesting take on this. Cause if you look at the first issue is basically Iron Man working as a detective while still trying to play along with the rules of the game. Cause all of these characters, like the reason why the superheroes of earth have to fight each other is because they have been granted by this one alien race that we want you to put on a contest for us. You guys are going to face each other. Winner goes on, loser goes back to Earth, and at the end of it, we will be entertained enough that we will give you secrets of technology that will advance your race, that will advance the human race. And, you know, of course, when you look at that, and like, oh, it seems like a, like a, a fair trade. And all of the heroes automatically oblige and think this will be a lot of fun, but it's because they don't know they're actually been infected by microscopic nanites which are influencing them to think that way. Iron Man is the only one who doesn't get infected because he's wearing a skin-tight suit. He's wearing a suit that is airtight. There's, there is one, char- one other character who is, who is uh, not and affected Kitty. by it. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, he's not affected, but she is affected by it in a way. That what happens yeah. is the nanites can only link to solid matter. And because she's always in a constant state of phase, it kind of debilitates her and makes her... So while she's fully with her full functions, she really can't do shit except sit there and go, ah, shit. (laughs) That's pretty much what she does for the first half of this series. It turns out, of course, this other alien race is working with the Brood, who, of course, you know, if you know about the Brood, especially the stuff that Claremont wrote in the X-Men, they want to put their babies inside you and then take over your bodies and then basically use your bodies as incubators. And the Brood Queen is like, I want Rogue. I want Rogue's body because she can like steal everybody's powers and I want to become the most powerful. It was very much like Brood Queen was that kid in the schoolyard. He'd be like, okay, we're going to play superheroes and I'm like the most strongest one. You can't hurt me (laughs) and I'm not going down. I'm going to win in the end. And that's kind of what the Brood Queen is here. I listened to a podcast called Black Eye Who Tips. They talk about this trope 
called Impossible White Man. And I will say they definitely make Tony the impossible white man in this. Normally, that trope can't apply to superhero stuff, but it's kind of perfect here because he's one of the people who doesn't have superhero abilities, but he has his brains and his exoskeleton. And that, despite the fact that he's arguably, if I was to pick any pairing of him versus his own team, other teams to go person a person, I wouldn't always pick him to be in a top position, but he does pretty great in the knockout rounds because no, he has the second round though. <laughs> yeah, but he has his wits about him and they, they're targeting him to lose. It's mm. a real like kind of group of death situation. It's not an even draw. They're trying to get him out early because they know they haven't been able to infect him with the nanites. I'd love to be able to travel back in time multiple times and talk to Claremont to be like, did you do this on purpose or was this just subconscious or like you're transporting a bunch of people to another place for them to be used for labor slash entertainment, but also for breeding. He does so many things that on the face of it, you're like, oh, this is just, you know, you're playing, uh, you know, rock'em sock'em with your toys. But also, if you have any kind of critical thinking, you've even taken more than one class in your life where you had to look at a text and evaluate it and come up with themes and metaphors, there's mm. a lot of ways to look at this. And the choosing the strongest to breed uh, based on their performance in this uh, feats of strength activity. I love it because <laughs> it's on the surface. It's fun on the middle. You get this sort of, Oh wait, but normally in this kind of scenario, I should be expecting both of the smart guys to do well, but Reed gets washed. Just, yeah. yeah. He goes out like, so when you say like Tony went out fast, let's talk about, Let's talk about Hulk's throat. Yeah, yeah. so the Hulk versus Mr. Fantastic (laughs) was one of the three matches that was decided by fans, and the Hulk won by a landslide. And so I think Claremont looked at it and went, okay, so the Hulk is going to beat Mr. Fantastic. But the Mr. Fantastic is arguably the smartest mind in the Marvel Universe. How could a raging Hulk defeat him? The way that he came up with the ending here, how how to finish this fight, is that it starts just as you think it would. Mr. Fantastic is wrapping him up, saying, I can keep growing and stretching and tire you out and everything. But then Hulk does something very, very simple. He inhales. Of course, the Hulk has much larger lungs than any man because, you know, everything grows with him. So the Hulk's lungs are quite big, which is why his when he yells, it's like when they do, like, animation of it, it's always, like, crazy, like, big, like, wind lines are coming out of his mouth. So he inhales all of Mr. Fantastic, and Mr. Fantastic, you know, as stretchy as he is, he can't move inside of such a constricted space. And he's already, like, kind of flat Stanley'd himself out. So he's sort of at a disadvantage. If he had some time to think about it, maybe he could have done something. But he's flattened and sort of wrapped himself around. Yeah. Like, think like a, a, a rice paper spring roll. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so Hulk has ingested all of that into his throat area, and so a very constricted area, and then he just spits Mr. Fantastic out, which basically Mr. Fantastic is unconscious because he didn't have any air in the throat and also the physical impact of hitting the ground after being compressed inside Hulk's throat. It was like basically 
the hawk spat out a missile two feet away from his feet. You know, like, that's like, there you go. So Mr. Fantastic out for the count. And a lot of, like, the ways that Claremont played with the powers here was really interesting. Like, Thor made himself just a conduit of electricity. He let the thunder and lightning build inside him, and he took out Storm with a kiss, just by basically sending an electric, like, it's like if you kiss someone after you rub your your feet on the on the carpet, your your socks on the carpet, and there's a little shock. But yeah, where, whereas that Johnny tried to take advantage of her claustrophobia, and it's like, don't start dancing at the five yard line. Don't call the play because then when she's ready for it, she can brace for it and blast through. Yeah, yeah. But you know, of course, Thor let her come in close. You know, she she was using a lot of the power, a lot of thunder, lightning, everything like that. He's absorbing it, made himself a conduit. And basically kissed it right out of himself. You mentioned the Human Torch. The Human Torch versus She-Hulk was interesting because the way he beat She-Hulk was he buried her in the ground and then sapped all of not just the moisture out of the ground, but also out of her body. So she had to work harder to break out of it, but she was also dehydrated and collapsed. So Spoilers like, for Wakanda forever. <laughs> yes, and so <laughs> all of these moments are like, oh, you're doing something different with the powers and you're showing us a way that how that works. And at the same time, because of the, you have the nanites where it's affecting the personalities of the characters, you can have some of the characters... Are getting some idea that they're being messed with. So based on their awareness of this is or isn't okay, it's also a low-key judgment on the character's like base morality of exactly. how hard they go. Where Johnny is just straight trash as a person. And so he's not even arrogant. trying to pull his punches. Yeah. Thor's yeah. arrogant and thinks he could take anybody out. So yeah. the, the most sort of ethical on ethical bro fight is Cap America and Black Panther, where they both are like, this ain't right. Yeah. Yeah. And right at the very end of it, Black Panther has it completely figured out. He's like, Oh, we've been cheated. Yeah. And he just, he's basically telling Cap as he's about to disappear, there's somebody messing with us. Try to figure this out. But. As soon as the match is over, it's kind of like the effect of winning victory. Cap, where he had like a slight moment of clarity, goes right back into the, oh, wait a second, I'm one of the winners sort of thing. And it's interesting to see the the winner's circle that the, the brood queen puts together. Basically, the people she wants the powers of. And so you have Cap in there, you have Thor, you have the Scarlet Witch, you have Jean Grey. You have, uh, of course, Rogue, who she puts her essence into. And yeah, it's just a neat little like collection of stuff. And and Hawkeye, what, what a great showing for Hawkeye. Yeah, Mister yeah. Observe from a distance. Yeah, also clocks that something's up, and just keeps himself just out of range of close observation. Yeah, he kind of snuck into the background and was kind of forgotten about, to the point where the Brood Queen goes, "Oh yeah, I forgot about you, Sikkim boys," and sends like several here <laughs> Gambit at first, but several other heroes as well to beat the crap out of him. Of course, they're being messed with by the brood. And so every time they lose a match, they're supposed to go back to Earth. But they're not going back to Earth. They're being sent to the bowels of the brood ship, which is kind of like its own savage land. And they are... About some like real xenomorph energy happening down there. Yeah, exactly. Which, of course, the brood was based on the xenomorphs, so it makes sense. So basically, they're fending, fighting for their lives. And a lot of the characters at first, when they're down there, are still affected by the nanites. So they think that this is some sort of like part of the game, what's going on sort of thing. 
and Iron Man figures out the nanites, figures out a way to disable them. And Iron Man and Psylocke are kind of like the squad leaders for the entire thing. But how but he you... gets to say a lot more. Psylocke yeah. does it. Well, I was about to say, how do you feel about Psylocke down there? One issue, it's like, okay, yeah, it's Psylocke. And then like an issue later, it looks like she's made armor out of like a dead animal of some kind like its skull and its its arms i thought it was kind of crazy the the design we're missing a whole story of her fighting off a bunch of xenomorphs and then realizing it's easier to hide by basically crawling into the tauntaun and running around in it yes and i i think we missed like possibly at least two hilarious pages of (laughs) that moment like she just shows up just wearing like xenomorph fits it's the whole you know cover your body in mud to hide from the predator it's it's yeah, very so, that yeah so i'm gonna take lower form brood animals and make an outfit there we go yeah. <laughs> and so yeah so they kind of lead a rebellion against the uh the undercarriage uh, where all the lesser um princes and princesses of the brood and they create like this kind of gladiator army and two characters are introduced that kind of show up in the bowels of this ship because they were from another dimension. And when all of the heroes got zapped into the ship, it somehow messed with their dimension and they kind of got pulled into this as well. And so they kind of become the de facto teammates of Iron Man and Psylocke and the four of them kind of lead the rebellion sort of thing. How did you feel about that? These two characters, because like I felt like, oh, these characters are kind of like a, a mid-story ex machina of like, we need people to help that haven't been infected. Let's create new characters and throw them in. They kind of, they're the you, one thing that feels kind of like, where did this come from? You kind of, there's so much exposition in this book. So I really just looked at them as kind of the story function of, you need a guide for each environment mm. and in any of these kind of my heroes are trapped on insert hostile environment X, whether it's, you know, a red and Shawshank or even recently on one of those, uh, I think it was, was it tales of the Jedi or one of the episodes of clone wars There's an episode of clone wars that was in the prep for Ahsoka. She gets like kidnapped and stranded on this planet where they, literally hunt like baby jedi like they steal baby jedi and like other creatures and hunt them and there's a few who've managed to survive and she meets up with them so they're like your Mm -hmm. tour guides they're your Mm -hmm. you know two panels of exposition of like here's the situation like we've been trapped here or this is the deal and then you also introduce people that give you at least the idea of stakes because you know they're strangers so you're always A, suspecting them. B, they could die at any time because, you know, Mm. your mains aren't like your main mains aren't going to die. Yeah. And they help zip things along. Yeah. And I feel like I wasn't like surprised to see them. I was like, this makes sense. Well, actually, well, it kind of also is that they even act as a means for Iron Man and Psylocke to give exposition that they wouldn't normally give if there wasn't somebody there who hadn't, you know, been in the Marvel Universe before. So they... They kind of they kind of were like give and get exposition sort of in their position. They're onboarding screens for an app when you download it, basically. There you go. There you go. But it's funny though because it's like 
I mean, we're going along this story, as I say, a lot of it's from Iron Man's uh, position and everything like that. And then, like, in the last two issues of the story, it becomes, as I would expect with the Claremont book, relatively an X-Men story in the sense that it's dealing with stuff where he last touched on in X-Men, the Ms. Marvel rogue relationship. The last two issues kind of focus on that because the entire time Ms. Marvel has been held captive by the brood and not been involved in this contest because the brood just wants Ms. Marvel to die because they couldn't kill her before. They're going to try to find a new way to do it. So the idea of the brood queen in rogue's body. So the two people that Captain Marvel has, or Ms. Marvel has the biggest problems with and the worst history worth, they're all encompassed in one body. Now it's kind of funny because this past year, Kelly Thompson kind of ended off her run with a similar idea of taking the brood and Rogue, putting them in the same story and having Carol Danvers fight her way out of it. And Claremont does that here. Rogue loves absorbing a body. (laughs) For for a woman that for so much of her run couldn't get intimate with folks, she really loves absorbing another entity. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so it really comes down to a Captain Marvel, sorry, Ms. Marvel, Carol Danvers versus the Brood Queen. And so she's like the big hero in the end. The rest of the heroes finally get out of it, like Iron Man and Psylocke are able to get everybody up to snuff and freed of the nanites and everything like that. But if the Ms. Marvel fight went down the wrong way, well, everybody be carrying a brood egg in their body by now. I mean, worst things have happened to them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What happens is that Ms. Marvel, actually, the way she wins is she convinces the brood queen that I don't like Rogue, so I can kill this body, and you're in this body right now, so you will die as well. And the brood queen... Who's done her homework and knows that there's legitimately, like, generational beef there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the entire time she thought, oh, well, Carol Danvers is a hero. She would never do something like that. And Carol Danvers is like... Except for this bitch. Yeah, Carol Danvers is like, try me, try me. And so... This is my hall pass for murder. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so she gets out of there. I do like how I'm kind of like, was she bluffing or was she like, I've always kind of wanted to use to murder Rogue and here it is. (laughs) Like, who would blame me? I had to save the Earth. I had to save the Earth, guys. Yeah. Gambit, come on. I mean, he seemed more upset about his jacket being torn. I like that. (laughs) You tore my favorite jacket. It's like, so homie, you just have like a closet full of all of these but this one's your favorite that's your favorite that's your favorite one overall fun book i i personally don't think that deadpool could beat daredevil but that's just me uh but daredevil was affected by nanites so that's that's the out for it in my opinion at the time i remember reading it it was a lot of fun in the sense that seeing all these matches but we only see them for like a page and a half and they have interesting outcomes somebody at the time suggested to me wouldn't it be cool if they brought out like a companion series at the same time just called like champions where you'd see those matches in full and i remember at the time going yeah that'd be really cool well in 2012 or 13 when they did x-men versus avengers they did that they did a companion series where it'd show full-on fights between two characters and now i realize why conscious champions did not do that mm-hmm. because it's better to just Give us the meat of the story as opposed to like, here's all this extra stuff because those stories were bad. Whereas this, 
it's just enough to whet the appetite and go, okay, cool. Luke Cage got a bit of short shrift again. Mm. And not the best version of his outfit again, but you know, whatever, it's fine. Well, at the time that was his outfit. He hadn't yeah. he hadn't really changed the eye. It was the pre two thousands. Yeah, a lot of classic fits in this one. And Wolverine also doesn't get to do that much. Like he gets a little bit, but it, it is interesting. The characters that you don't necessarily expect get a lot of panel time in this. Mm. Which initially I was like, meh, but then I you know what? I enjoy this, that it's not our regulars that are getting to do everything. Yeah. So whether it was certain people got a few more fight scenes or uh, the X-Force one where you got to see all of the different characters sort of go up against. Did they fight Tony or did they fight? They beat down Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. they had a couple. Yeah, they had a couple of like the young teams sort of get to show a little bit of their flair, which was great. It was really, really interesting to kind of take a trip back because Claremont now his legend looms so large, but this was a real view into this is his baseline for a lot of these characters. And this is like their strengths, their weaknesses. And I would almost say if I were a Feige type, if I had an assigned kind of syllabus of, okay, so, so you're going to direct a Marvel movie. I (laughs) would probably include this as not something to necessarily try to work into your stories, but sort of to understand as we are in phase infinity at this point, when you have to think about a crossover, it doesn't have to necessarily always be the people you expect. Mm. And this is how you can keep things interesting. To me, I look at it and go, oh, Claremont just got back. Just got back to the Marvel Universe after almost a decade. And he wanted to play with all the toys. And he wanted to play with them his way. And it's so rare that they give someone carte blanche, like touch anything you want. Yeah. Well, that was kind of his deal when he came back is that they made him a creative director. And so he got to do certain things. And it wasn't until the latter half of his run as creative director where the editor in chief at the time, I can't remember. I think it might've been Bob Harris was basically fucking with his plots because he had been given Claremont, but given back X-Men and the two of them were fighting on what happened in the X-Men and basically Joe Casada came in as new editor-in-chief and went, okay, Claremont, we're getting rid of your creative director position and we're giving you one X-Men book that you can do over here. So during that 98 to 2000 period or 2001 period, Claremont just got to do what, what he wanted within reason. And so this was kind of one of the things that he got to do that people were like, yeah, go do that, Chris, you'll have fun. When it comes down to it, it was a lot of fun. Not the greatest written story, and as you mentioned, exposition heavy. Claremont really didn't, he didn't have faith, I guess, in the layouts of his artists here because he wrote very, Claremont always wrote Marvel style, so he would just hand a plot by saying issue one is this, and you get back issue one and he'd script it. So I guess he looked at a lot of the panels from this and went, I got to do some heavy explaining. I don't know why, I thought it was pretty straightforward, but because of that, a lot of exposition in this book of people describing their powers and how they work. 
and I will say under the explainer part of this, what I did like was the visual treatment of brood font, basically the, mm. the different, not just font style, but colors Yeah, for all of the brood bubbles that made a lot easier because they were jamming in a ton. The covers for these, I was like slightly underwhelmed, but then the interior kind of first page where you had the ring girls love that <laughs> for fit watch i'm gonna say i almost i get that you're kind of go trying to go with the real archetypes for each character so nobody really stood out like everybody was in their their real basic monday at work look like nobody was doing like a really fun casual friday okay. like everyone's looking like their ideal version of themselves in terms of look and feel because this is again a book where no one's dedicated creator is really doing anything they were really just going for i want to be able to recognize this person from a distance the first act is more bro heavy and then the last act is more about who run the world girls where we have like a lot of the kitty miss marvel rogue stuff so we'll say visually i sort of like the middle bit where we're sort of getting the you know storm's last fight so the thorman's thorm 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 yeah thorm that's that's their uh their celebrity yeah, name that's yeah. a couple name their fight is probably my favorite kind of transition point into the back half where they're mostly kind of working together to figure stuff out them and uh black panther and captain america they are the most sort of like picture perfect to their like what you imagine those characters would look like right but there weren't a lot of visual moments where I was like, oh, this is this is really doing something for me. Uh, I did. You know what? I also like Red on Red as much as you're still probably very butthurt that uh, Deadpool beat Daredevil. I do like that one. And I feel like passive aggressively, they went very smooth on the feet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a, a bit of a passive aggressive shout to Lockbell there. <laughs> yeah oh, it's just man. it's just slippers it's giving uggs but make it red there you yeah. go there you go my god but uh so overall do you think people should check this out absolutely it's a it's a great primer for new folks it's also a lot of lulls for people who like all of this but aren't super deep i would say if you really love one or two characters more than others you might find this problematic in some of the matchups like for you with the daredevil one but i also wouldn't say if you are one of these i'm really into like three or four characters and i like just reading their stories i wouldn't say this is for you no no i'd say yeah if you're just looking for a fun romp it's a good time much like the first contest of champions it doesn't really have a major effect on anything else it's gonna be red on its own if you have history with the characters like if you've read a lot of claremont's work beforehand and stuff there's an extra context for you but it's a context that you don't need to enjoy it it's almost exception to the rule of crossovers well this this was during a period that crossovers were slowly dying out at marvel like this was just before i believe it was called maximum security or something like that which was the last crossover big crossover event that they had for five years 
And so this little thing wasn't even considered an event event book. It was considered just like a fun little mini series that just happens to have all the Marvel Universe in it. And so there was no plans for anything that came out of this to affect anything else. So again, it can be read on its own and it's a fun time. And I think that's the key. If you want to do like a big overarching story, don't make it tie into all your books. Having it tie into all your books is what weighs down your continuity and makes it hard for new readers to jump in, in my opinion. So there we go. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Back Issue Blood Bat Batula. Where can people find you? At inatip.com on social things. At Obesacantavit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-A-T, and here with you. Of course, you can find everything I do at geekartshow.com. Follow me on Twitter. It's still basically Twitter, at Geekard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Backish We post a new episode every week there. But if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, just get on board and sign up on your wherever you catch your pods, your podcast platform of choice. Just subscribe to us. And then that way, you know, it'll come to you every week because we don't take a week off. We're always here in some capacity. Well, there was that one time, but that, that wasn't my fault. That was the website. There was an episode there. It just didn't play. Trust me. This has been Back Issue Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Have yourself a good...